Right, yeah, the Spireheads. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you've allowed us again to study your word. Um, and we know that reading your word is almost like um, hearing from you directly. Um, and I hope now as we as we read, we can um, start to see your character, start to see your love, um, and we can learn more about you um, as we go through. Please be with us. Please give us your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. So, um, we're going to be heading to John chapter 8, as you may have guessed, given our trajectory. Um, so John chapter eight, and we're going to start from verse one. So, is anyone? Did anyone see the uh, the title of today's um, Bible study? Justice and mercy. Justice and mercy, right? Um, and so, what we're going to do is we're going to go through the story um, and kind of bring out all the bits, and then we will um, go into discussing this idea of, of justice and mercy a bit more. So, um, John chapter 8, we can start reading from the first verse. I'll do two. Um, Jesus went onto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Cool. Um, so what just happened before this? What, what did we read last week? What was happening last week? Chapter 7. Um... I think Jesus ruffled a few feathers um, by, first of all, showing his face when people are out to kill him. Um, I can't remember what else that it was that he did, but um, um, when the Pharisees were kind of like discussing him, there was one Pharisee in particular, Nicodemus, he was saying like, um, maybe we should see what this guy's about before we judge him. And, they, they weren't really having it over. Cool, right? So um, last week we we were looking at the Feast of Tabernacles and how Jesus told the his brothers and the disciples to kind of go go in ahead of him, um, and then he kind of snuck in um, afterwards and was listening to what the people had to say, and then he started teaching, um, and obviously yeah, the the Pharisees weren't too happy with it etc right so um so now we, we we're coming to um chapter eight and we're seeing jesus coming back to do the same thing so he hasn't um hasn't got tired of it he he's not um thinking oh these people are not doing this again let me go um back to galilee or whatever the case is he's going back to the temple to teach again yeah okay first thing And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Cool. 
let's continue actually before we um before we we come back to this. Let's do um let's do just let's do verse five and six. Verse five. Uh, now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Shall I? Shall I read? I read verse. Oh yeah, you can do verse six as well. Yeah. Um, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. Cool. All right. So, what's just happened? Uh, you can imagine it just in the middle of the street. Jesus is um, there. He's with his disciples. Uh, and the Pharisees just dragged this woman um, into the middle of it all, throw her down at Jesus' feet. Um, this woman has just been caught in adultery. Um, and they are looking, they are looking to see what's going to go on because this woman has been caught doing something that is unlawful. You get me? And, and they know that it's something that like, you know, it, it, it's an obvious sin, if you get me. So they're just seeing how they can trap Jesus. For sure. For sure, right? So... When you read this, right, it says, um, and the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and um, and when he had set them in the midst of, so so where did they get this woman from? Right, she was caught in adultery, but it seems very um, seems very coincidental that somehow they've just grabbed this woman from from anywhere, dragged her from who knows where, so you know probably through the street. Um, and thrown her at Jesus and said, look, what are we doing about it? So it seems very um, strange that this they've been able to cook up this scenario out of chance, number one, right? And then she's, she's caught in adultery. So what's the problem? What problem do we see straight away? Where's the dude? Where's the dude? Where's the guy? It takes two to tangle, right? And when we see the law in terms of stoning, um, it should be both the adulterer and the adulteress that um, are stoned. So why are you just bringing the woman here? Right? Um, what else is the issue? Like, number one, like, it seems very coincidental this is all this happening. Number two, there's no man. What's the third thing? What, what seems strange? Well, let me put it this way. Have any, have any of you caught someone in adultery before? Anyone? Uh, anyone caught someone in adultery? No. In the act? In the act of adultery, has anyone caught that? No. No, right? Adultery being cheated. Pardon? Adultery being cheated. 
I can't hear you very well. Type it. You'll type it in the group if you can't speak. But feel free to say it again. Is adultery being speak um by adultery do you mean cheating, right? Oh yeah, cheating, yeah. It? So so someone um two people having um so so either a woman is sleeping with a married man or a man is sleeping with a married woman. We're not told in terms of what way around it is, but yeah, this is yeah, so cheating, right? Okay. So right. has anyone seen that? Has anyone caught someone in that in the in the act? Not in the marriage, in the married sense, but in the general sense, yeah. Okay, so in a married sense, no. In a general sense, yeah. What 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 kind of scenario do you have to be in to catch someone in the act of adultery? <laughs> you know, it's. I I don't think it's necessarily any mad mindset above the the mindset of just investigating. You get me? So you've got to be the one that says you're going to go into the house and you're going to open the door and you're going to look for people. Um, what yeah. I'm saying is I can't imagine the Pharisees are going through people's houses looking for sin that doesn't, mm. that doesn't feel for me like that's what the Pharisees are doing generally with their time so, so what how else would you catch someone in know? adultery how did they know it was going down how did they know it was going down um, Yeah, it sounds like it was on accident to be honest unless it was a setup. Uh, yeah I was going to say Either they're trying to purposely catch people out or they're in an environment where they're probably doing something that they shouldn't be doing as well. Perfect, right? So for me, there's only two ways really you're going to catch someone in adultery, right? Number one is it is your wife or your husband that's cheating and you've like walked in on them, right? Or um you're doing it you're, you're in a situation in which you're doing it yourself and therefore you know you're around it already right those are generally kind of going to be the only two ways like this is gonna you're you're gonna catch someone doing this like as, otherwise it would be someone admitting it to you or someone telling you about it or you know gossip and stuff like that that we that we um, talked about last week but very rarely if you're not connected to the situation at all are you going to walk in on someone doing that and know it's I adultery. And know it's adultery. I just, just like to say I was a victim for what I saw. I'm just saying. I was not involved. I'm just a victim. At the wrong place at the wrong time. For sure, right? So that's what I'm saying. Either you're the victim of it or you're involved in it, usually. Right? Um, and it doesn't seem like any of the Pharisees would be dragging their own wives out there. Maybe maybe it was one of their wives. I don't think it was, right? So it's unlikely that you would catch your own wife, etc., and you know you'd be dragging her in front of Jesus. So it's likely that it's a, a next woman. They're probably even they weren't doing it themselves. They were definitely in the situation that they were in, right? Something's something's amiss with the situation. You shouldn't be able to catch someone in adultery, pick them up from where they are, and drag them in front of Jesus without there being. Uh, some something not right going on cool what do they say in verse five now moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned but what sayest thou cool so they bring up this woman and they say 
like in front of the people Jesus is teaching um, and in front of the woman right Moses says we need to stone her now what's funny about this accusation is no one in Israel has been stoned for years for years no one's been stoned they haven't practiced stoning for a while from this point the next person who gets stoned is Stephen but before then like we don't hear about stoning for, for a while especially for for sins such as these people call, people in adultery aren't getting stoned left right and center in Israel at this point this was happening maybe even thousand a thousand years ago right so that for them to bring this woman in front of Jesus um, and it says in verse 6 that they tempted him what are they tempting him with Sorry, Reese, back a second. How do we know that people aren't getting stoned? How do we know people are getting stoned? No, how do we know people aren't getting stoned in Israel around that time period? How have we come to that conclusion? Because we don't hear we, we don't hear about it at all. We've, we um, there is there is several scenarios of where people have committed adultery and no one has been stoned. Even even with um, if we even if we look at Hosea and his wife, right? And Hosea was supposed to be um, was marrying a harlot. She, they they weren't picking up stones to 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 to, to stone a harlot. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't it didn't feel like anywhere else in the New Testament. We don't hear any of these people, the sinners that Jesus is speaking to. We don't see anybody come up and picking up stones against them. So it very it seems very strange that this has just come out of the blue. You know what I'm saying? You know what's interesting to me, though? I wasn't even thinking of it anyway like that. I was thinking about um, the idea of them being under the subjugation of, um, like, Rome and not necessarily being able to commit capital, sorry, to... Um, that's that's definitely some, coming. Capital punishment. For sure, they, right? For sure, for sure. You're right on the money, Ruben. Um in, in the build-up to Jesus' death, right, they wanted to go kill him. And they said, oh, but we can't because, as Reuben is saying, um, you, can't kill, you can't kill people under Roman law, right? Capital punishment. Or at least you need um, permission to do so, right? So this is one of the things they're tempting him with. If he says, yes, um, let's stone her, then, he's, then they can be like, right, um, well, Jesus is up for cop. Uh, corporal punishment um, and let's go tell you know Pilate or you know the Roman governor at the time um, and let's get Jesus sorted out what's the other thing they're tempting him with I think the other thing is actually a more spiritual thing of like are you just going to let someone get away with it um so kind of like, so if you don't do anything, you're obviously saying it's okay. Perfect, right? So either you're going to disobey the law of Moses, which we feel is the law of God, um, and you're not going to punishment. You're not going to punish them how God says they should be punished, and therefore, you know, you can't be the son of God or want God what God wants, and all the rest of it. You're just going to let sin get, people get away with sin. And on the other side, they're like, but if you do punish them how they should be punished, then you're going to be in trouble with the rope. Yeah? And what's more, they're also saying, Jesus has a reputation, right, for being with sinners. 
already. Jesus is known for being with tax collectors, being with prostitutes, being with the Samaritan woman, being with whatever, right? Again, the Samaritan woman is an example of people not getting stoned. Um, and maybe, you know, it's, I mean, she's in Samaria, so maybe that has something to do with it. But again, she's had five husbands and the man that she's with is not her husband and the village know about it. And yet she's not stoned. So it just doesn't feel like there's a lot of stoning happening at this point. But at the same time, um, and it feels like Saul almost brought that kind of um, animosity towards uh, people um, breaking the law when he was you know, killing Christians. But up until then, it doesn't feel like this was this was happening a lot, a lot during this time. So obviously they're trying to they're trying to trick him. So what was Jesus's response? Is this not where he says, let's see who is without sin past the first stone in the writing on the floor? Um, that actually comes in a minute. He doesn't say that yet. What is it? So they say, look, this woman is caught in adultery, dashes her in front of him. Look, um, are we like Moses says to stone her? So let's stone her. What are you gonna say? Um, and what did Jesus say? He didn't say anything. He says he didn't say anything. What does he do? Just starts writing on the ground. Starts writing on the ground, right? Um, and it doesn't say it here, but what, do we know what he was writing on the ground? Wasn't the sins of all the Pharisees that brought the woman there? Cool. We 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 assume from the the context of the text um, and from other commentaries that he's writing, probably by name, the sins of all the Pharisees that are standing there, right? Just on the ground, in the dust. This is actually the only place in Scripture. Um, especially in the New Testament. I mean, in the Old Testament, you know, you could say, you know, maybe Jesus, it was Jesus' hand that wrote on the tablet of stone. But in the New Testament, we don't see Jesus writing anywhere else. This is the only time we see Jesus writing. And Jesus is in the sand and he's writing the sins or accusations against um, the Pharisees. And so as, they're, as he's writing, they continue to ask him, let's, let's continue, let's read um, 7 um, and 8. Well, let's just, let's read seven, actually, just verse seven. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Cool. So Jesus is writing on the thing. As he's writing, they keep asking the same question are you going to stone her Moses says to stone her are we going to stone her as he's writing and he gets up from the ground after he's been writing and he says who is without sin cast the first stone now in um, in the law back in um, Leviticus it should have been um, when, when it says like he is without sin cast the first stone it was like the, the, the member of the situation so you'd have to be involved in the situation, but that person who is not involved, um, that is guiltless in that situation should be the first person to cast a stone. So either a witness, so the person who caught them, or the, um, the, the person who they've been cheating on should be the first person to cast a stone after the judgment has been cast that actually this person has committed a sin, etc. So when Jesus says, let he that is without sin cast the first stone, what is he saying? 
I mean, there's two options, but yeah, go ahead. I think he's just saying, like, let the innocent one, um, you know, that you guys have seen too. Um, and you're, you know, sometimes we get into this, this habit of, like, accusing people and um, we get into this habit of, like, punishing people and, like, you know, it's something that we feel we're entitled to do. But, you know, the, this whole thing of forgiveness was, or at least the way that Jesus portrayed forgiveness was radical for them because they treated it as something that you had to, it's almost like you had to, you had to do stuff, you had to debase yourself or you had to sacrifice and do all this stuff to get forgiveness. And so I think part of it was the, the fact that Jesus was just trying to show them that um, as people, we we need to be, not just we need to be forgiving, but we can't be looking at other people's sins like we haven't sinned, if you get me. Mm. For sure, for sure. Um, I, heard, I, saw, I saw in this video the other day, um, at least I think this is what they were trying to say. I think they basically like completely twisted this. And um, if Jesus takes away our sin, um, then the person has now seen themselves as sinless and therefore this first, like, mm -hmm. they are now entitled to be able to stone the person. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, I, 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 my question is, like, what would you say to that person? I think we're going to um, gravitate to that answer in a minute, but I would say the same thing as Nathan was saying. Um, I think when we have this, we, we have this idea of eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? In in the Old Testament, that's what it says. And therefore, um, you know, if someone does something bad, we should be able to do X, Y, or Z. We should be able to stone them, etc. When what Jesus says in 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 that context is turn the other cheek. And so, I always see it in this context. I always see what we do if we do something bad what the guilty person deserves is um is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth so if i steal someone's um if i steal someone's bank account details and drain their bank account i deserve for my bank account to be drained that's justice but jesus says what you should give someone who hurts you is different to what you should receive if you do something bad if that makes sense if you do something bad you should get the same thing done back to you but if someone does something bad to you you should turn the other cheek that's how because um why why they say that's because of the new covenant because christ has died for you you have no reason to be able to kill someone else for their sin so that's what i would say in terms of the stoning and if Christ has died for you and you're now sinless, then you can stone people. I would say the fact that Christ has died for you means that you are in no position to stone anyone. 
if anything, you know, Christ should be the one stoning, and we see we'll see what Christ's um, reaction to this this thing is in a minute. But um, but yeah, so when Jesus is saying, you know, he is without sin, cast the first stone, he's both saying, um, none of you are innocent generally. Like you're not right to judge people. You know, you're not God. You have sin in your life. Therefore, how could you feel like it's right to stone someone when you yourself um, are not right generally? But he's also saying, um, in this specific situation, you're not innocent. So the people who would have been stoning you in the past would have either been a witness or the or the person that the sinner has been against to cast the first stone. The fact that Jesus is saying, let he is without sin cast the first stone, suggests that none of them are innocent in their witness or being a guilty party. So being the innocent party. Somehow they're guilty in this, in this specific scenario. So either they were they they caused the thing to happen, or they were involved in the thing, or whatever it is, they are innocent. So as Jesus is writing their um, sins on the on on the floor in the dust, he stands up, says he is without sin, cast the first stone, and then he goes straight back down to the floor and starts writing again. And then let's go to verse um, let's go to verse nine. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and a woman standing in the midst. What do you think the Pharisees were thinking? It says, the word, the wording it used, it says is being convicted of their own conscience. So I actually think it hit home, if you get me. I actually think that the the message was um you know it wasn't they weren't just going because of like I don't know embarrassment I, I want to say that there was some introspection there and some reflection mm-hmm. let me let me ask a different question to make it a bit more personal if you're in this Pharisee's shoes at this point, with the, your, the own sins that you have in your life currently, and you found yourself in a situation where you're you're condemning someone, let's say they did something against you, and you have you feel like you have a right to condemn them, and um, for for the fact that Jesus is in here is difficult, but let's say Jesus is in front of you and he starts just writing out your sins on a piece of paper as you're there trying to go to him to say this woman did this to me and he just sits down and starts writing out your sins what would you think i'll be so embarrassed because imagine if someone's writing down like your sins on the floor and everyone can see i'll be so embarrassed embarrassed right sir for sure what else Scared. Scared. Yeah. Well, what's the what's the what's the source of the fear? How does this man know what I'm doing? Because no one knows like, this. Yeah, for sure. I always feel like the ground is not big enough for their sin in it. So yeah. you're always thinking one one has come out and is written down there. How much more does this man know about me? If we if we stay here too long, this list could get very long. 
and it could get as much as a very embarrassing. Nathan, go ahead. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking they're there, they're seeing the, their sins get um get written out. And they're also they must be thinking of mercy somehow. Of just, you know, if these are my sins that are being written out, I don't want to face justice for that. I don't want to face judgment for that. Um, and so guys, when it's happening to you, <laughs> when it's happening to you, that's when you're seeking mercy. Um and they would have wanted that. For sure. I understand this is the like the most humbling experience. You came to this situation with your boys. Sorry, Maz, go ahead before I go. Um, yes, it's kind of what Nathan said, but um uh and also was it was it James about um being scared? And it's um usually like we think it's fine to carry on in sin, like as long as no one knows about it because as long as like especially in this time like if no one knew about it then you wouldn't be subject to punishment but they've they've just seen now that like someone does know and therefore like they could be subject to punishment because they've been called out as well so um yeah yeah for sure for sure thanks so Subject to punishment, right? Um, you're out here with your boy. Just, just imagine, right? You're walking. You, you're from the start of the situation. You think, right? We need to get this guy Jesus. We need to get him. And so, you think of this plot, right? This is how we can trick him. Imagine trick the son of God. You trick. So you got your boys together. You got your group of you. You're like, right? We have got this woman. Let's 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 trick Jesus. Somehow he's gonna fall here. He actually can't give a right answer. Either he says yes and we've got him, or he says no and we've got him. So they're probably feeling pretty good about themselves. The whole situation happens, Jesus stoops down to start writing. They probably haven't really clocked what Jesus is writing yet. Probably feeling a bit annoyed that Jesus isn't answering the question that they've put in front of him. Um and he's actually it, it's the Bible says, um, he, he went down to the ground as if he hadn't heard them. So it's like Jesus, didn't, he didn't react to the question at all. He just stooped down and just started writing on the ground. And as he's doing that, they start berating him a bit more, like, answer our question. And he just stands up from what he's writing and says, he was about to cast the first stone. And he continues writing. And as he's writing, they start to clock, wait a minute, that says adultery. And it says my name. Oops. That says theft, that says pride, that says whatever. And it says my name against it. And you start to feel the shame, the fear, the embarrassment. And each and, and therefore this mercy starts coming in to say, you know what, actually we can't stay this woman. And so they all one by one, starting from the eldest to the youngest, drop the stones and walk away. What's the significance of it being, do you think, that like the Bible stated that it started from the eldest to the, to the youngest? Do you think it's because he's growing up the sins more like, you know, you're the eldest, you've done all of this, how are you talking? Do you think it's sort of coming from that sort of, sort of view or do you think it's just, they've just said it like that? It seems very particular. Like normally if you get caught, out, this is a group of you, you just leave it, aren't you? But it's very particular saying, started at the eldest that left first. 
Um, I Ruben, go ahead. Um, Tyler, I was just thinking the same thing, and I'm wondering if when when I think about uh, this time and the kind of culture that they're around, you know, it's a kind of culture where, um, as I understand it, you know, you got props for growing your beard big and long, yeah? And there was this kind of ageist uh, idea of things so that, you know, the older one is to be respected. You know, we have that now, but I can imagine it was a lot more ingrained back then. So I'm wondering if, um, you know, the idea that the oldest, and you could argue, the best of them because they're older yeah if the best of them is leaving then what do the young ones have to stand on does that make any sense like if if the sins are getting written out and you've got the the ones that are like you know the big hardback elder of the church you know we listen to whatever this person says and this person has to leave because they can't stand before that how much more can little person that's been like a deacon for two months and that kind of stuff what can they say about you know standing before this kind of accusation and this kind of you know conscience I agree Ruben I think very much so when you look at pack mentality group mentality you see the elders or the the leaders of the group um, moving first so it's like rah yeah probably good good time to to duck out but I also think it, it is interesting that the, el the elders go first. It's almost like Jesus is saying, or the story is saying, or John is saying as he's writing it, that the older you are and the longer you've, um, you've been in your situation of sin, and the longer it's just hardened in there, the worse it is. So it's almost like saying the elder ones have the most sin to, to, to feel sorry for because they've been in the thing longer than the youngest. And so I guess we can take a lesson from that to say that let's not allow ourselves to, to then be an elder in the church almost and still be um, having this kind of heart, still being able to drag someone in front of Jesus to stone them. And the youngest learning from them don't have that, you know, deep-seated thing in them for so many years, but there's, this is how they're learning. And so now they're, they're seeing the elders go, as, as Ruben said. Um, but ultimately, we don't know. But that's what I would, um, that's what I kind of get from it. Tyler? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that's cool. Cool. All right. So, um... So when so so let's read um ten verse ten and eleven. You just, before we read though, just, we just kind of um, I assume and reading this, the fact that it says convicted of their own conscience, it suggests that the Pharisees that were there were um, kind of understood who Jesus was at this point. That's kind of the, the, the impression I'm getting that almost, you know what, fair play. Um, I, I shouldn't have been here. And so it's interesting that actually, even after this, these same Pharisees, and I mean, obviously we don't know, you know, if it was the exact same Pharisees, it could have been another group or whatever, but the same Pharisee group that we're seeing is still trying to con 
tr still trying to kill Jesus. So some way, shape or form, we're not seeing the fruits of this conviction straight away. But, you know, over the years and when, especially when the early church starts, we start to see some of the Pharisees um, who believe, right? So it's these kind of um, experiences that start to change some of the hearts, even though they're not ready to out overtly or outwardly show that they're, they are, um, they are believing, um, similar to Nicodemus. But yeah, um, verse 10 and 11. Yo, sorry, I just wanted to jump in there, Reese, and say as well, oh, yeah. um, if you think of Revelation 3, verse 19, is a good example. Um, it says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Yeah. And so I often see the Pharisees and I don't really think of Jesus loving them. It's quite easy to say, oh, Jesus loves everybody. But I can imagine that the same way that I'm sure you know like being honest all of us could say that there are times we've seen people and and you know kiss our teeth can't bother with this person at the moment or whatever I don't know and I kind of see Jesus as interacting with them like that you know um can't stand them oh why are they coming up against me again they're always trying to come in you know and mm. always for him and yet this idea that Jesus never loved the Pharisees more than at that moment if that makes sense that actually that was something that wasn't, you know, it's so easy to see it as him, you know, taking the Bible and boxing them with it. But actually that was like the most he could do to reach out with love for them to say, get your own houses in order. For sure. For sure. Great point. Great point. Um, I think we always have this bad idea of the Pharisees, like Ruben was saying, um, and that, you know, they were the enemy. They were the the the, the protagonist that killed him, and you know, it's, it, you know, they're they're bad people. But ultimately, Jesus came and died for them too. Ultimately, they had to be convicted of their sin same way. Um, but there's a difference between the Pharisees and the woman caught in adultery, and we're going to um, discuss that in a minute. But yeah, um, let's go um, verse ten and verse eleven. When Jesus, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Have no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I con condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Awesome. What do you think the woman is feeling now? Like, let's say um, just uh, uh, um, as verse 9 is happening, what do you think is going through the woman's mind? Um, firstly, like relief. You think she's really feeling relief yet? I was gonna say she's probably thinking, "Well, I'm next." So maybe because obviously she knows she's done something wrong, and yes, yeah, he's sort of rebuked the Pharisees, but she's still expected to sort of a punishment. I think. I think. At the end of verse 9, she probably doesn't even know that the Pharisees have gone yet. In my mind, it's like her head is to the ground. Like, she probably doesn't even know Jesus has been writing anything, at least hasn't seen what he's been writing. Um, and is probably waiting for the first blow of a stone to come any minute now. 
So the the woman is is probably very scared at this point. And then Jesus says, where are your accusers? And you can imagine this kind of image of her opening her eyes, lifting up her head and actually seeing no one there. And she's like, what? And over all the Pharisees have gone, the people, the men who actually dragged her from wherever she was, um, through the streets to the temple where Jesus was. Um, and now they're not there. But as Tyler said, like it's still not quite over yet. Right? So she says, um, so Jesus asked her, where are you accusers? She says, no man. So what do you think she's feeling like at this point? As verse 11 is starting. Is it, is it, you can always read it as saying, she's saying, okay, no man, but then there's you. Like, what have you got to say? Yeah, for sure, right? She's a bit, she's probably still a bit tentative, like, uh, no one, <laughs> but, you know, are you going to throw a stone at me or are we good? And Jesus says, neither do I. You can almost imagine this, like, <sighs> kind of like, boy, I really, really scrapes like this. Like, in her mind, she's probably thinking, boy, I'm never going back to that guy again. I'm not getting caught in this thing again. No way. Right? And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, you go and sin no more. And so this is what I kind of want to focus on, especially this verse, especially what Jesus says um, particularly. Neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And in this verse, we see um, this balance of justice and mercy. Um, Jesus forgives her. He says, I don't condemn you for what you did. But he also, in the same sentence, there's going sin no more. And so it would be nice to discuss this because I feel like either we go too far one way or too far the other in terms of this balance between justice, justice and mercy. And so um, I feel like we should discuss um, this in a bit more detail. So first and foremost, what is the definition of mercy? Is a mercy getting what you don't deserve? I think getting what you don't deserve um, is more grace. And I think, you know, I mean, bear with me, they're quite um, similar in their definitions. But if I was to say, um, if you're in a court of law and you killed someone and the judge um, says, I'm going to show mercy on you, I'm only going to give you 10 years. He's not giving you something you don't deserve. What is he doing? Slightly forgiveness, isn't it? Say that again? Slightly forgiveness. I'm kind of forgiven. Huh. Forgiven, right? But what is it, what is it that what is it that you're getting in forgiveness? It's or... sparing you like the punishment that you deserve. Cool, right? So mercy is is um, 
sparing you from something you deserve. If you deserve to get punished for X, Y, Z, in this woman's case, she deserved to get stoned. Mercy says, I'm not going to stone you. Grace is like um, unmerited favor. So that's so it's almost like mercy is um, God forgiving you, but grace is God taking you to heaven or giving you a new life. You know what I'm saying? So grace is something that's given to you as like a as a gift that you didn't deserve. Mercy is not giving you something that you do deserve. Make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, cool. So, um, so what's justice? What does justice mean? Isn't it justice is supposed to um, fix a wrong? So, like in, in in like law terms, like you're meant to. So, whatever crime you've committed, the justice is meant to kind of sort that out in terms of kind of. I don't know. It's it's not going to fix it, but it kind of um, it gives you what you deserve in terms of you killed someone, so you deserve to not be on the streets or whatever. It's like the crime equals the punishment yeah the crime equals the punishment yeah oh well sorry go on more to do with what you deserve isn't it yeah it's about what you deserve it's not about crime equals the punishment because then that's a crime as well isn't it not necessarily like if you kill you might deserve to deserve to die but in the sense of you get a sentence that's right for what you've done sort of thing yeah I guess so I mean you know our forms of justice or the justice system you know are, are, uh, is is debatable <laughs> so if, if if I kill someone some people would argue that I deserve to die other people would argue that it's, it's more of a punishment to stay alive in jail um, and so you know there, there is different thoughts on the subject but generally we would whatever we feel like is the justice that someone should get justice as a definition is someone receiving something they deserve from their actions right and that can go good or bad so if you did something bad you deserve an equal and adequate punishment based on your crime and the same way if you did something good justice would say that you should get something good in return right so justice is all about right outcomes getting what you deserve um and why is that so um, disproportionate with this idea of mercy. I think you said it before when you said about defining mercy and grace. You could say that one of them is about withholding something negative and one of them is about actually bestowing something positive. But both of them have to do with not giving somebody what they deserve. Um, so, yeah, it's just about actually, you know, it's, it's not proportionate. And we either accept it not being proportional, or we tend to either over condemn ourselves or then under condemn ourselves. Cool. Um, Tyler, the question was, um, what is why are grace and why is it, sorry mercy and justice um, almost like opposites? 
Oh, question. Oh. And Ruben gave, gave that answer, but yeah, go ahead. I think mercy is it's more directly correlated to someone doing something wrong, so you have to give them mercy. Whereas justice, it could be you you did something good, so you have a positive reward. You did something bad, you get a negative reward. So it's more to do with both sides. Where whereas mercy is only negative correlated, I think. Okay, give you that. So. I think what we're saying is that mercy, why grace and mercy are opposites, um, is because I think Ruben said it well in, in the sense that mercy is all about not getting what you deserve, while um, justice is about getting what you deserve. And so when we see that God is perfectly merciful and also perfectly just, or has perfect judgment or perfect justice, um, it sometimes is difficult to understand how that plays out practically. And so I find that us as Christians often, um, often don't see God or, or um, relate to God in a correct way. So what do I mean? Um, and let's, let's, let's deal with, there's two sides of this story. So one is to lean more towards justice and one is to lean more towards mercy. So we'll, We'll start with justice first. So when we see when we think about God's justice, what do we think of? What's an what's an, an example of God's justice? I don't mean to go straight to the morbid, but I'm going to do it. Um, I'm thinking death. Death, right? Death in what context? I, mean, I, I don't even know. I was just thinking that's the first thing that came to mind when I thought of like those two words together, God's justice. I thought of death. Um, you know, when, when something bad happens, well, this is not the same actually, sorry, I'm, I'm speaking a lot, but um, like when something bad happens and someone says, oh, I probably deserved it, or oh, it's because I did this, usually things are like outside of our control that um, go wrong and we just equate it up to a higher power. Okay, interesting, so almost like karma. Exactly, yeah. Okay. When we when we think about God's justice in the Bible, what are some of the examples? There are quite a lot, so um, you know, pick any. Um, you could have um, like in Noah's day with the antediluvian, um, the flood came and destroyed um, the people because they were sinning um, continually before God. Perfect, right? So, it's a great example, right? So we see that um, God sees that the people are sinning. Um, the whole world is, thoughts are continuously evil. That's how the, the Bible describes it, except for Noah and his family. And so the whole world, other than Noah and his family, is, is killed through a flood. This is where we see God's justice. And we see this quite regularly throughout the Old Testament. And because of our idea of God's justice being this, and Reuben went straight to death, um, if we do something bad, you know, sin, sin equals death. Um, and that is part of God's judgment and justice. 
Um, but somehow, when we sin, we find it difficult to come to God. Now, why why do we why do we think we feel why do we feel that? I remember this was Abadan. I remember they would remember, but I remember with the same sort of question was said, and they were saying, you know, the reason you feel bad, and is because God God has put that there so that when you realize you and you feel like, oh, you know, I've sinned, is that you actually run towards Him. But what often happens is, sort of the devil gets into our ear, and, and we see it as, oh, I can't go to God because I've sinned, and He doesn't want to see me. Exactly. Right, and I think we've all probably heard this kind of um, this this situation or this this um, issue before. In fact, we've all probably experienced it. This thing of oh, we've just sinned, especially if it's a recurring sin, especially if it's something that you've been struggling with. That if you give in to your temptation at that point in time, you think, oh, I can't go and pray to God now. Um, let me wait a bit. Let me maybe listen to something or or you know let some time pass or get a bit more holy in some way shape or form so that when I come to God it feels a bit better when I come and pray to him almost like he, he's not going to listen to me otherwise um, and although that is true and go, go ahead Mas. Um, you sure you don't want to finish your no no, no go ahead. yeah because I was going to move on a bit but yeah you go ahead okay I was going to say also um, maybe the experiences that we've had with other humans when we've had humans have not gone as well as what we'd hoped um like sometimes when we come out um and be honest about hurting someone um the way that they've reacted is not pretty or maybe friendships have been cut off or yeah maybe it's just been very extreme that it was kind of um damaging is that the word but it, it's like sent a message to us that um that idea of like opening up and being honest and confessing doesn't like it's not always like a good thing or like relieving or yeah do you, do you get what I mean but then obviously yeah. God is into humans but humans is like what we've what we're familiar with Awesome point, right? So we treat God almost like how we would react if someone really hurt us. So if someone really hurts us um, continually over and over and over and over again for the same thing and then just says sorry afterwards, we would feel like they're not sorry. In fact, even if they are sorry, I'm not going, I'm not forgiving them. Not after they, like, they're just going to do it again. So you know what? Nah, I'm good. And they're going to now have to prove to me that somehow they've changed before they come back into my circle. That's how we. That's how we act. There's this, or or there's almost like an awkwardness, like after someone says sorry, or whatever. There's this. There's this like gap in your relationship where you're like, mm, I don't. Re- I'm not really feeling like I want to spend time with them right now. And it may take you a while to quote unquote heal, um, from wherever it is, even though you may have verbalize your forgiveness it may take you time to heal before you can get to the same kind of level with that person and so when because we do this in our relationships 
um, we feel like God acts the same way towards us. And so what's bad is what happens in the sin, but what's worse is then we start to, um, we start to get ahead of the issue. So instead of um, us coming to God with our whole selves, we end up showing God this side of us that is good or that we think is good or acceptable to God. So when we're in God's presence or when we're um, in church or when we're doing Bible study or whatever it is, we'll try and show this side of ourselves because we think it's the good part of ourselves, the bit that God would like. Um, and we share that part of, with God. And we're like, look, God, I'm, I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to study. This is the time I want to have with you. However, the sinful side of us, we don't like to show God because we, we know that God isn't happy with it. And so we're in this issue of thinking um, of a disproportionate idea of God's judgment and justice. And really what needs to happen is for you to really get over your sin, you need God to be involved in the bad part, not in the good part. The good part is actually like a, is like fake. The good part is fake. Because if God doesn't clean up the bad part, then you're just bad. There's no, like you can't be 100%, I'm sorry, 90% good and 10% bad is still bad. And so if we're, all we're doing is showing God the good part and leaving out the bad part of ourselves, then God can never clean up the bad part. It'll be like, let me give you an example, right? What would you think if um, I told you that um, I don't shower? And what happened is one day um, I didn't shower and I put on deodorant and I put on aftershave or perfume and I went out um, and it smelled good. And because it smelled good, um, I continued. And so every day I get up and I put on deodorant um, and aftershave, perfume, whatever you want to call it. And I go out and I do what I need to do. What would you say? Social distancing. <laughs> so, so social distancing. No, it would only be, be able to cover it for so long, wouldn't it? Hmm. Or even not at all. You get me? I like that, Linnea. You said you're masking the problem, not fixing it. Exactly. Masking the problem and not fixing it. And and you know what? You know what will end up happening? You know what's funny? You will end up thinking that you're smelling good, but other people will, will start to realise. You will feel like, you know what, this aftershave is kicking. I'm smelling nice. But everyone else starts to actually realise that you're dirty. And so you're in, you're in this thing where you're faking, you're, you're kidding yourself to thinking that you're smelling good. And actually what you need is a good shower. And God is the person with the shower. But all of you... If what you're doing is coming to God with your perfume, thinking that you're smelling well, you're not going to go into the shower. You're going to chill with your perfume. No one's going into hell with perf- into heaven with perfume. Go to heaven with with a good shower, head to toe. Isn't that 
exactly what it says in Revelation 3.17 when it says you say that you're rich and, you know, you don't need anything and you don't know that you're, you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So because you're not let yourself, because I've not let myself be vulnerable um, before God, I've actually lost awareness or put away awareness of the need. And exactly as you said, he can't do the car wash. He can't bring out the super lean because I, I'm not, you know, I've not come to him and said, I'm dirty. I need the help. For sure. And so what we find actually in scripture and especially in this story is two types of Christians. We have the Christians who are like um, the woman caught in adultery and they understand that they need a shower. They need that car wash, as we were saying. They know it. They can smell their dirt. The BO is coming through. There's no perfume. And so Jesus can have an experience with them because he is the, he is the shower. If you're the person with the shower and someone comes dirty, there's no issue. Because you have the shower. If someone comes to the shower not thinking that they need a shower, there's a problem. And so the other type of, of Christian is like the Pharisees, who are only spread on perfume. And Jesus has to then work to start, start to convince them that actually perfume and 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 um, and and deodorant and all the rest of it. Is not soap. And so we need to be comfortable bringing Jesus into the sinful parts of our life. Jesus says, What? Well, come as you are. What does come as you are mean? means don't wait don't don't wait until you're good don't try and change before you come don't think you've got to go through these hoops and loops just come with open arms just come Lene, you said no filters what what, what we say what, what, break that down a bit more i feel like kind of filters kind of cover up any blemishes that you have in your face when you go on snapchat but like going as you are all the blemishes are showing you can't cover it up it's just you as you are We need to know, right? When we great, great point with the filters, right? And Tyler, what well, we need to understand when God sees us, right? He knows our sin. He knows it. He understands, like he can smell you, like the beer and everything. He can smell it. He knows it. He came and gave his son to die for that. So if you're scared to show him the bad parts of yourself then really, what was the point? Like, he's literally, he's prepared. Like, that's what he came for. That's why he's, like, wants this relationship with you to clean you up. But if you come thinking that you're there, you're, you're clean already, or God can only see this part of me. God can only see me doing well. It doesn't make any sense. Okay, the other side, right? 
because what what the danger is is that you um mouse says and we don't mouse in the comments. That that was a little typo yeah. there, but just basically like I love that verse because it highlights like the level of detail. Like he knows like he knows you more than you know yourself, but I'm pretty sure you lots don't know how many heads are on your head. So like there's literally like absolutely nothing that we like can hide anyway, like God has already seen it. But yeah, continue. For sure, for sure. It says John 3 um 17 says he came not to condemn the world but to save it. And Jesus says all the time, he didn't come to show himself but show his father. And so when we see Jesus act this way to the woman, um, you know, I don't condemn you. We can take that as God saying that to you. Like, he's like I get your simple. I get it. Like, I get it more than anyone gets it. Trust me. So you show me your sinfulness is what I want. That's why Jesus hung around with the tax collectors and the, and the prostitutes and the whatever and whatever. That's what he, that's, that's, those were his people. He'd rather you be honest. He'd rather you be you. And we see this even with the people who are, um, even with the, the so-called patriarchs of the, of the Old Testament, say, for example, Jacob, and we were, I was discussing this in midweek in one of my Bible studies, that, you know, it doesn't feel like some of, the, some of Jacob's um, life wasn't condemned the way it should have been. For example, you know, him having multiple wives or even multiple um, sex partners in which he had sons from. So, you know, it'd be Leah and her maidservant, Rachel and her maidservant, etc. And it didn't feel like these things were condemned like, you know, we, we would think they should be. But in a weird way, right, Jacob would do what he was doing and still try and, and, and not hide it from God at all. It's almost like he would, try, he would still pray to God to bless his family. Like, think, would you do that? Would you, knowing that you've done something wrong, knowing that not, your lifestyle is not what God wanted, but you're still asking God to bless your family? And through your communication with God and through that relationship with God is where the changes of your character come from. You don't come to God with, um, with everything fixed, as Tali was saying. You don't come with everything shiny and everything new and like, right, God, we're ready to do your work. It doesn't work that way. And that's why the Pharisees had such a difficult time with Jesus. Okay, so so although that's one side and it's very easy that side, the problem is 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 there's imbalance, right? So that's God's mercy, right? But however, you know, we need to, um the the mercy that we need to accept in Jesus. However, it can go too far. So when we read this text, it says Jesus says, um, "Neither do I condemn, neither do I condemn you," which is the mercy. But it also says, "Go and sin no more." So what does "go and sin no more" suggest? Um, change up your ways. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. Like, change up your ways. Change up your ways. Anyone else? What do you? What, what, what is Jesus saying when he says, "Go and sin no more"? 
Jesus healed you from something and then said, go and sin no more. What would you be thinking? Stop doing oh. what you're doing before and change, like change whatever you were doing before. Change what you were doing before, okay. Cool, cool. Hasta? No, similar. Go and um, try your, well, go and do your best not to sin or change your ways, become a new person. Cool. Come and become a new person, right? Awesome. This is the thing with God's mercy, right? It'll have one of two results. You can either um, accept it and through spending more and more time with him change, or you get complacent. And through showing him your sin, you think God is actually okay with sin. God is not okay with sin. He loves you and he will forgive you of your sin when you come to him. And he will accept you, but he is not okay with sin. Hence his perfect mercy and his perfect justice. So I have a story, right? So um, just to illustrate this point, let's say I'm a, I'm a college professor. I know not, you'd have to stretch your imaginations too far. Um, I'm a college professor, right? And let's say, how many people in the school? 14, so 13 of you are, are college students, right? And I tell you, at the start of this thing, um, at, the start of, at the start of the semester, let's say it's September, um, every month, at the end of every month, I, you're gonna have to write an essay and hand it in at the end of every month. And everyone said, yep, I get it. I was like, make sure, you, you sure? Everyone understands, they're like, yep. I said, if you bring it late, so if it's the first of the next month, then you get an F, right? Or you fail, you fail that paper and it's gonna count towards your final grade. So end of each month, you're gonna have an assessment. If you don't bring that thing on time, so by the day, the last day at the end of that month, then you're gonna get an F. Everyone's like, cool, I understand. So 30th of September comes and 12 of you bring your essay to me, but Tyler, yeah, I'm picking on Tyler, because why not? Tyler um, decides that he, he, he well, he, he, he didn't bring his essay in when he should have done, right? And Tyler comes to me and he's like, ah, oh, Reese, you know, um, I was, I had, I had loads of stuff going on with family and um, this was happening and that was happening and, you know, I just I didn't get it done in time. I've started it, but it's not finished. Because I have like a couple of days extension and I'll, I'll make sure I get it in. Right? I say, you know what, Tyler? No worries. I'll 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 give you an extra couple of days. Give Tyler an extra couple of days. He brings in the essay. Come the 30th of October, again essay time. Now 10 people bring in the essays. And both Tyler and Ruben and Linnea don't bring in their essays. And I say, guys, where, where the essays at? And, oh, you know what happened? Um, there was this event, you know, we had to do some stuff with, with, with ACS or whatever the, the society is that you're running. Um, and, you know, uh, time just got away from us. We were doing a bit more research and just we couldn't get it done in time. Could we get an extension? Okay, guys, don't worry. I'll give you an extra two days, but make sure in two days you bring it. Oh, thank you, thank you. 
30th of November comes. Tyler, Linnea, Ruben, Mutsa, Naomi, Maz, don't bring the essay in time. Half the class have now not brought in the thing in time. And when I go to ask Tyler where, where the essay is, he's like, oh, don't worry, I'll bring it, I'll bring it um, in two days. He says, don't worry about it. I've got you. I'll bring it in two days. There's not even an excuse anymore. I say, say no more. And I give Tyler an F. And I give Mutsu an F. And I give Linnea an F. And I give Ruben an F. And I give Maz an F. And anybody that time that didn't give the essay on time. Now, what would you say to me? Say, Maz, Maz, what would you say to me in the scenario if you just got an F on your paper? Um, probably, yeah, come on, please, just one more chance. But say the chance is gone. I can't, I'm not giving you another chance. Say, say, but Maz, this is the first time you haven't brought it in on time. So you brought it on time in on September. You brought it on time in October, but now November comes. This is the first time with the rest of them that you didn't bring it on time. And I say, right, Maz, you get an F. What do you think? Um, why did you give Tyler so many chances, but for me? Cool. So you'd be thinking, you'd be thinking it's not fair, right? Yes. It's not fair. Tyler got um, an F last time, and um, and you didn't, and and you were able to give him thing, but now you're not giving me an, uh, um, you're not giving me the same chance. Ruben, you've you've given your um you've given in your essay late twice now. What would you say if I said right F is it's it's an F now? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> but, but but you I know Tyler has had Tyler has had two chances and you've only had one. No, I'd want the three, the the two opportunities, to be honest. <laughs> Cool. So you've been thinking, but wait a minute. Tyler didn't give his one the first week and you gave him off that one and October. It's not fair that I've only had October off. Or you should give me November as well. How come I've got an F? Be fair. And if Ruben, I said to you, okay, I'll be fair. I'll give you an F for this one and the last one you missed. Woo! The moral of the story, right? is that if you don't treat mercy with um, with this idea of, okay, go and sin no more. If you don't match them together, then the issue of mercy is that not only will you continue in the behavior that you were doing before, but you also drag other people with you. And so because you saw um, Tyler get away with it first time you thought the rules were now a lax you thought now in, in say going back to a spiritual context God doesn't care about sin too tough so you know I mean if I got away with it once I can get away with it again I'll just ask for forgiveness I'll sin now and tomorrow I'll just ask for forgiveness and God says he's, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness so you know that we'll just we'll just take the the two day extension again, and one of these days, what's going to happen 
is the professor is going to say, sorry, you're getting an F. So as much as we should show God our hearts and come to God as we are and, uh, and accept his, his mercy in its full form after he has seen the whole of us with no shower for a month, at the same time, once he's given us the shower, you need to understand that you should be getting showers every day. It's now that you can't go back to not having showers anymore. Now it's about how we're going to change your behavior. Are we actually going to be committed to surrender because of what Jesus has done? So it's okay to come as you are, but it's not okay to stay as you are. Um, Reese, I just want to add in there. Um, a thought that just came to mind with this idea that imagine if I'm in this situation and I'm going around stinking everybody out ruining things, and I finally realise that I'm smelly and I go to the person with the shower and they sort me out I'm good, I have my shower, I'm clean now I'm good um, and, and then it's almost like I've got no excuse now not to shower because I now know that there's someone that's got a shower, that they've got the running water, that I can go and I can get my shower. I, I've literally got no excuse anymore. So there's this, there's this thing that says, if I go to God and he sorts me out, then that means that God can actually sort me out. And, you know, I actually need to shape up and pattern up. So, you, you know, in... Um, Wait, what I'm trying to say. So this idea that you can be forgiven for a sin, but actually when you come out of Jesus Christ, that sin is still against you. Is this idea that like, you know, you knew where the savior was, you knew what he was about and you could come to him. But as soon as you now decide that, no, he can't sort me out. No, he can't save me. No, he can't help me. Then he couldn't have done anything for you the first time. And it's almost like it comes back to you again. So, so this idea of like we, we've, we're called to and we're given the opportunity to grow, but it's not a case of taking the mercy and just the grace and taking it for granted because the whole reason that we're given it is so that we don't have to go through that again, basically. For sure. I think when we say um, the, the issue is, right, the issue is, is that we'll have... Um, our experience of sin and our experience of God's mercy is, um, is not always straightforward. So because we have certain sins that plague us and that, you know, it feels like we're struggling to, um, to, to break the cycle, um, we feel like I, I obtained God's mercy and therefore I can't go back and get more mercy. But that's not true. You can always go back and get more mercy. But the problem is, is when you start taking the mercy for granted, and this is what this is the um, this is the the fine line between the mercy and grace, and 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 having a, a, the correct balance when it comes to understanding who God is. God, 
as, as much as could be possible is against him. But he loves you from as much as that is possible. So if you come to him with a correct heart, he's always going to forgive you. But the problem is if you don't accept his mercy with the right uh, mentality, then the mercy becomes something that will hide in your heart. And so I don't know if you know if you get a forgiveness for one thing, but if you go if if you then go back to it, you you're you're still sin you still you still claim the sin of your old sin. I mean, regardless, it doesn't really matter if you if you move away from him, you move away from him. But there's this idea that you you need to consistently be in God's presence for Him to clean you. And the, this cleaning process is both a instant process and the work of a lifetime. So you always need to be showing God your sinful nature. Always. There shouldn't be a case in which you, you come to God and he's like, God, you know what? I'm actually clean. We're good. You've done it. There's always more and more things to done um, to, to dig for. Uh, Maz, go ahead. Um, I have a little story. <laughs> uh, some of you might have already heard it but just going back to the point of um uh not taking god's grace for granted i guess um can't remember exactly how the story goes sorry i'll get to the point basically um a guy wanted a chariot driver he wanted a really good chariot driver and he was he was interviewing people saying um i'm i'm driving on a cliff how how good of a driver are you and the first guy comes along and he goes I'm so good at driving I'll take you to like one meter away from the cliff edge and I promise you won't fall off and then another guy says um I'm so good at driving um I'll drive 10 centimeters next to the edge of the cliff and I promise you won't fall off and then the third guy comes and says I'm so good at driving that I'll drive as far away from the the edge of the cliff as possible. So um, just that little thing, like, it's it's not, um, what's the word? It's not reassuring to drive right next to the edge of the cliff. Like, if you're living your life, like, always at the edge of the cliff, like, always testing, like, God, like, grace, like, that's just like tiring and a risk that you just don't need to take. For sure, for sure. Thanks. Does anyone else have any points before we, we wrap up? Understand this as, as a last um as a last thing, right? When when Jesus says go and say no more. Jesus isn't saying, um, Jesus both isn't saying, oh, um, don't worry, I'm not going to stone you, um, but go, like, I'm not going to stone you, forgive it, and now go and continue with your life. He's not saying continue with your life. At the same time, he's not expecting her to never sin again. But what he is expecting or what he wants from her when he says that God is to know more, is for you to now live a different existence. So it's not just the fact that, um, you know, it's not that, oh, 
you have another chance to do X, Y, or Z, like go back to where you were before and see if you can make the right choice this time. That's not what Jesus is saying. At the same time, he's not saying never do anything wrong again. He's saying you are now, if it were possible to be born again from the statement, like you are now a new person since you've met me. So now you're operating from a different set of rules. You may still fall, but you're operating from a different set of rules now. It's now me and you going through this. And the more that we can feel like we are living life with God through the good and the bad things, then more and more you'll start to feel like the bad things have less of a control over you. If you can share with God, like the, this idea that, you know, um, that if you go into a club that your guardian angel will will wait outside the club. Understand if your guardian angel ever left you while you were sinning, you think the devil and his angels wouldn't, would just chill with you and be calm until your, your guardian angel came back. Understand bringing God even into your mess is how you get the mess cleaned up. There's no point saying, right, God, you stand here while I go do X, Y, Z, and now I'll come back and see if we can reconciliate. Like, God wants to be with you in life. And he doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to grow. But it's impossible to grow unless... It's 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 very possible to seem like you're growing while you're spraying on perfume, but it's impossible to grow unless you're allowing God into your life. And when I say life, I don't mean just the good thing, I mean the entirety of you. But yeah, any any other points before we um we close? No? Okay. Um I just want to read this thing here that I put in the group um, just before we go Um, something that I read this week and I think it just ties in nicely is that right? yeah yeah, it says just here is a point on which many err and hence they fail to receive and hence they fail of receiving the help that Christ wants to give them. They think that they cannot come to him unless they first repent. And it's true that repentance does come before the forgiveness of sins, because it's only the broken and contrite heart that will feel the need of a savior. But must the sinner wait till he has repented before he can come to Jesus? Is repentance to be made a barrier between the sinner and the savior? The Bible does not teach that the sinner must repent before he can heed the invitation of Christ. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It is the virtue that goes forth from Christ that leads to genuine repentance. Um, I read that this week, and you you said something a couple times in a, in a, in a few different ways, and the gist of it was, invite God to live with you to live in your mess in your life in in all of the parts and this idea that as sordid as sins can be and especially 
the, the shame that we heap upon ourselves and that the devil heaps upon us. As much as that seems like it can separate us from God, the Bible literally says there is nothing that can separate you from my love. Except you. So, yeah. Thank you. That's quite, uh, amazing quote. Said it, said it. Right, hit the money on the head. Um, Voya. Um, yeah, no, I just wanted to add on to what uh, you guys just said, and that we have to also be honest with ourselves. Um, if we want to be honest with God, I feel like sometimes if we're not like allowing ourselves to kind of explore certain parts of ourselves, then it's that little bit harder for for us to kind of recognise what God's doing. Yeah, that's all. Sure. Sure. Good point. And I think that's probably part of the reason, yeah, why we don't bring um, God in is because we we're not honest with with exactly what is wrong with us all the time. Um, and I'm I'm sure that that's exactly what the Pharisees um, were. That's that's what state they were in um, as they're bringing this woman to Jesus. And I think as we start to spend more and more time with Jesus and more and more time in his word, etc., um, we start to see what almost like Jesus was writing on the ground. And those things end up coming up to kind of shake and say, look, you're not as good or as perfect or as sinless as you may think. Um, and there is more and more opportunity and reason for us to spend more and more time together. So, yeah, good point, thanks. Any, anyone else before we, we pray to close? Nope. Okay. Um, Maz, could you pray to close, please? Yay. Let's pray, guys. Father, thank you that we were all able to hear from you today. Um, thank you for your words. I thank you for using Reese and I thank you um, for everybody that shared as well um Lord I thank you for you um we often struggle with this balance between justice and mercy but you are able to be both at the same time um and that can baffle us sometimes but I thank you for helping us to understand um to understand you a bit more and I pray that um through you we are also able to achieve this balance as we go forth with ourselves and with other people as well um jesus i pray that you continue to work in us that we um also sin no more and i thank you for your grace and how much you do for us that we do not deserve um father i pray that you may bless us for the rest of the day um, help us to meditate on what we have learned today um, and bless us through the coming week as well. Um, I thank you and I praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, see you next week. Be on Thanks, John Chapter guys. 9. Uh, don't forget to add your songs to the Spotify playlist.